You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. For episode 322 of this podcast, today is February 5th. 2022. And if you haven't checked it out yet, go back and listen to yesterday's episode. I really enjoyed yesterday's episode recording it and reading the book, The Fourth Turning, an American Prophecy by Neil Howe and William Strauss. I've been doing a lot of book reviews here lately. And for those of you wondering, Garrett, why so many book reviews, why not more current events here lately? Why are you not doing as much in the current events? You're doing a little bit, but but why not more? Why, Why so many books? Here's my explanation. In part, though not in whole, in part, the whole business with Joe Rogan and Spotify and the left trying to cancel Joe Rogan has me thinking that more discussion of books that are published, especially books that have been out there for some time, is not necessarily a safeguard against censorship, but it may buy us some time, right? It may buy us some time to talk about books and use talking about books as a vehicle for talking about current events. In fact, this is a very typical thing you find as it gets more difficult, more challenging to exercise free speech, to talk about political and social issues. Literature will fill more and more of a role in being the vehicle for people to say the things that they're not allowed to just come right out and say. You're going to see more poetry. You're going to see more symbolism. You're going to see more <clears throat> people trying to, to some extent, smuggle what they really think into their communications. And so we have to be able to read. We have to be able to read good books. We have to be able to not just understand what the words say, but what the words mean. What is the meaning of this book or this statement or this song or this movie, what's being communicated to me, we have to be able to understand that and to be conversant, to be able to communicate that right back or else we're just along for the ride. Do you want to be just along for the ride or do you want to be an active participant in the direction that your life is going, the direction that your family's life is going, in the direction the life of your church is going, the life of your community is going, the life that your business is a living is a certain direction. And if you're not part of the conversation, if you're just a, please, may I have another? Please, mom, may I have another? May I have some more? Like Oliver in the Oliver Twist story by Charles Dickens. If you're just a, please, mom, may I have some more? Well, guess what? You're going to get yelled at like Oliver Twist does at the orphanage. What? 
right? They drew straws to see which of them would go forward and ask for more. Oliver draws the short straw, and he goes forward and asks, and he gets in trouble for it. And he's going to be in all sorts of trouble for daring to step out of line and not be just another good boy. But we need to be active agents in the governance of our families, in the governance of ourselves. Why else would self-control be a fruit of the Spirit? If we're not supposed to exercise any self-control, any individual volition or choice, if it's all supposed to be made centrally from the top, based on a five-year plan, based on a government of the experts, they are experts, just ask them. They'll tell you. They're experts on how expert they are. If we're not supposed to be at all in control of ourselves, it's all just supposed to be controlled by other people telling us what to do at every turn, telling us what to think and what to feel at every turn, then it's a curious thing for the Christian that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. But just there, just so, we're not supposed to be controlled and micromanaged and manipulated and bullied the way that we are being. We are in a very real crisis. And the crisis is not, first and foremost, a pathogen. The crisis is our response to that pathogen. And we're under, I think, a kind of hypnosis. Or at least a lot of us are under a kind of hypnosis. And a lot of us who know better, who realize that that's the case, the longer this goes on, the tireder we get, the more fatigued we get, <laughs> the more risk we run of developing Stockholm Syndrome. And yet, if we push back against that, like many people have, if we push back against that and we say, absolutely not, this is unacceptable, Here's the red line in the sand. I will exercise my freedom of speech. I will exercise some control over my life. And that is not selfish. And that is not wicked. That is not unchristian. If we do that, we can get out of this crisis. If we don't do that, the longer we refuse to do that, the more of a guarantee there is that it will fall to the next generation. And I, for one, am not for that. I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine here recently about how he is pained by the idea that writing this wrong, this tyranny, abolishing this totalitarianism would fall to our children, to his children in particular. I'm able to do something about this, so I'm going to do something about this. But what? Well, it starts with telling the truth. If you can't tell the truth without being threatened, without being punished, without being destroyed, if you can't even talk honestly about what the truth may or may not be, for instance, if you're being lied to and you say, well, hey, wait a second, that doesn't add up. I may not know for sure what the truth is just yet, but I know you're lying to me, and here's why because I caught you in this, 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 and this lie. You're not a credible person. If you can't say that or talk with other people publicly in those ways, well, that's the tell. 
That's to tell that this is a totalitarian moment. And we know who the totalitarians are. They are the creatures of the left. We know that. That's not conspiracy theory. And it's not unspiritual for the Christian to say, you are tyrants. You are thieves. I think of Prince Humperdinck in The Princess Bride. And where is Wesley sent after the fire swamp? It's not enough for Humperdinck to take Wesley's woman. He's going to try and force her to be his bride, and then he's going to murder her. He doesn't actually want her. He wants to use her and then kill her as a pretext for war against his neighbor. But it's not enough to take Wesley's woman. No, Wesley needs to be destroyed, mind, body, and soul. And so what is stolen from Wesley is years of his life. And he screams in ultimate agony as his life is being taken away from him. It's not just years of longevity, as if all years are the same. It's years of life, potentially, that he would have spent happily living with his true love, Buttercup. And just like that, I tell you this story. I start talking in these terms. And the censors... And the totalitarians, the control freaks, the thieves and liars and hypocrites on the left are at a little bit of a challenging crossroads. Do they try and take my content down? I'm just talking about the Princess Bride, right? Oh, right now they might not. But if they feel their oats, if they get a tighter and tighter grip... And they get more and more desperate to hold on to the power that they have grabbed for themselves with the help of far too many compliant people who should have been reading Democracy in America by de Tocqueville like I am right now. I should have been reading it sooner. I was reading a lot of things that were referencing de Tocqueville. I should have read this book itself sooner. But the farther we go down this memory hole, this totalitarian road, the more even an innocent conversation about the Princess Bride will invariably drudge up how we really feel and what we really think and what, more to the point, we really know to be the truth. Live Not By Lies is a book I did a review of here recently. Rod Draher's Live Not By Lies. You can go back to the episode from January 23rd to catch that one. Live Not By Lies was Alexander Solzhenitsyn's motto. And that was what got him through living under communist rule in the Soviet Union. Live Not By Lies. It's just a question of how long we can keep up the pretense And the cost doesn't go down. The longer we are compliant, even just outwardly, the more of us who are outwardly compliant, the longer we are outwardly compliant and mass, the more emboldened the worst sort of men are to take everything from us. It's one thing to say, I'm going to lock you down in your house. I'm going to decide whether you can or cannot go to work. 
and decide whether you can or cannot go to church, whether your children can or cannot go to school, whether you can or cannot attend your grandmother's funeral. No, no, that's not enough. Once they have that, they want the next thing because they get a high off of controlling other people because they're so terrible at controlling themselves. That's the tell. That's the tip-off. They're not very good at controlling themselves, but they for sure want to control everything you do and say and think and feel. And once they have that, once they own you mind, body, and soul, they will have nothing but contempt for you, and they'll want to destroy that reminder of what they've done. Every time you look them in the face, particularly if you are bruised and battered and damaged and they know in their heart of hearts they know the truth however much they try to suppress it they will want to destroy you not just symbolically not just spiritually not just morally they will want to destroy you actually there's a madness there's a craziness there's an insanity to this whole business and Stockholm syndrome is a real possibility for folks who in their minds, in their hearts are slaves, but enough about that for the moment or turning from that to something of, I think a remedy and a solution. We really need to become acquainted with Alexis de Tocqueville and his book, Democracy in America. Alexis de Tocqueville, for those of you unfamiliar with any more than just the name, was a French aristocrat who came to America in 1831 and traveled the eastern United States for nine months, taking notes, having conversations, reading, studying, observing, and all from the vantage point of not just any outsider, not just any foreign national, but a French foreign national who had seen what the revolution could be like in a different context if the spirit of the people was not restrained and if there was no moral impulse to check the abuse of enemies. The French Revolution was a very different revolution than the American Revolution. Not all revolutions are created equal. All men may be created equal, but what they do from that point forward with the talents that are invested in them is their affair. And it's downstream of what they believe about God, about themselves, and about the people around them. Alexis de Tocqueville, I will return to once I've finished the book. I haven't finished the book just yet. But in the case of de Tocqueville, some interesting things come out with regards to how America has separated the powers of the government, how the powers have been distributed and why, more to the point, those powers have been distributed the way that they have been. Pure democracy does not work, as 
that generation well knew because they were well read. They had studied the Greeks. They had studied the Romans. They had studied the cultures and civilizations of antiquity. And they knew that pure democracy does not work. You cannot take a direct vote all the time. The law may be an ass, as Dickens writes in Oliver Twist, actually, funny enough. The law is an ass, an idiot. The law may be an ass under normal circumstances, but it's even worse when mob rule decides on a day-by-day basis what the law will be. And so the idea of America, the concept of America, was that we need to have checks and balances. It's not wise, it's not safe, it's not prudent to put too much power in the hands of too few because men are fallen creatures with fallen natures, with sinful natures, who are not possessing the hearts of angels. If men possessed the hearts of angels, some of the founding fathers wrote and quipped, there would be no need for government. Now would there? The reason why we need government is because men are not always wise and they're not always good. But the law is there to require a basic level of decency in the way that we treat one another. Romans 13, I was just discussing with two other friends of mine yesterday, J.P. Chavez and Roy Garcia. And Romans 13 talks about respecting the governing authorities. For no authority is instituted among men except by God, and the governing authority is a minister of God to reward those who do good, to punish those who do evil. The governing authority does not bear the sword for nothing, which is a double negative, which means the governing authority bears the sword for something, namely to defend the innocent, to punish the evildoer, particularly if the evildoer is trying to assault the innocent. That's usually the way that works. All people may be created equal. All men are created equal. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable or unalienable rights. And yet, the whole reason why governments are instituted among men to defend those liberties has to do with the fact of our sinful nature. The fact that we want to violate the rights of others, we are tempted in that way, and but by the grace of God, we give in to that temptation from time to time, some of us more than others, some of us in very repetitious ways. We establish a pattern. We become addicted to abusing others. And that's where the government is supposed to come in and serve its role to protect your rights. You have a right to go to work. You have a right to go to church. Anything which you have a responsibility to do, you also have the right to do. It's not either or. It's not either responsibilities or rights. Anything which you have a responsibility to do before God, according to God's word, you also have the right to do. And if the government says no, We are going to interfere with you fulfilling your responsibilities. Well, then a whole host of additional responsibilities may in fact come into play. 
Like, for instance, changing your government. And when I say changing your, your government, I don't mean changing the fundamental nature of your government. What I mean is you may need new representation. You may need new public servants. De Tocqueville talks about the separation of powers in a way that had never occurred to me. Namely, that the power to command and the power to punish are always separated. He writes this in 1831, 60 years, 50 years on from the founding of the country. Enough decades have passed that the very great men who fought to make their country its own have either retired or passed away. The next generation is not quite <clears throat> not quite as great as the previous generation was already. And yet, the genius of the Founding Fathers was to put checks and balances in place so that the various branches of government keep one another accountable and also keep one another from taking their ball and going home or changing the rules of the game for selfish gain, defrauding the public. More than that, though, de Tocqueville talks about the citizenry taking such an active role in its own government that each man feels like he personally is making these laws by electing these representatives to go and write these laws and amend these laws. Those men in turn deliberating on his behalf. This man voting for these representatives, discussing it with his neighbors, his fellows, his family, engaging in political discourse at a level and a depth that's unknown in Europe. And what de Tocqueville says is that such being the case, this accountability of the public servants in government positions to the people means that the people, even if they may not always run their country as wisely as the experts might in another country, the people have a much, much, much better grasp of how the world works and what's going on and what is best and how to handle their own private business than the people of other countries. When we allow for power grabs in this country, unconstitutional, unlawful orders, to be obeyed, to become precedent, to, to metastasize, to become cancerous in a philosophical, political, jurisprudent sense, when wicked power grabs, which are actually the usurpation, which are actually the rebellion against authority, are obeyed as if the usurpation is the ultimate authority, we are forfeiting our birthright for a bowl of soup. Like so many Esau's. Coming back hungry from the hunt, I can't be bothered. Whatever it costs, just give me a bowl of soup. Before we run out of time, and I should go, even though it's a Saturday morning, I want to talk briefly about this article 
at notthebee.com. Not the Bee has been doing a fantastic job ever since I first came across it anyway. A fantastic job of covering news stories, aggregating news stories that I used to go to the Drudge Report for. And I like that it's not just Matt Drudge, and I like that they're not never Trumpers, and I like that unlike Drudge, they have not jumped on board with mindlessly parroting the fear porn of our corporate media types, our government bureaucracies, the pharmaceutical companies, the medical establishment, academia, in a word, leftists. But disturbingly, this article in particular from February 2nd, earlier this week, just earlier this week, Joel Abbott writes, you need to read this amazing piece of reporting that details how Big Eva shamed Christians for asking pandemic questions at the behest of former NIH director Francis Collins. Megan Basham at The Daily Wire is one to watch. I have seen a number of articles. I think I've discussed a number of articles on this podcast, which she has published, which are quite excellent, talking about the corruption in mainstream evangelical leadership in America. And it doesn't look like what you would think. You would think mainstream evangelical leadership in this country, on board for Trump, standard fair Fox News guests, all they want to talk about is abortion, all they want to talk about is campaigning against marriage equality, da-da-da-da. No, 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 no. Au contraire, quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Somehow or another, the guys who have become very big names in so-called evangelical Christianity in America have for several years now, and some of them for decades, been pandering to the left in their sermons, in their sermonizing, in their candid remarks, which they deliver strategically in non-pulpit contexts so as to avoid being accused of preaching nonsense and untruth and false teaching, and yet they come as a pastor and they're speaking as a pastor and they're speaking to Christians in America in a sermonizing way. Call it whatever you will. Just because there's not a pulpit there doesn't mean that you're not teaching and that you're not preaching right now. But Megan Basham has the receipts, as Joel Abbott writes, at not the B. And I'll put a link to this article in the description for my podcast. How the federal government used evangelical leaders to spread COVID propaganda to churches. Now, I do believe you have to be a subscriber to the Daily Wire in order to read this article. If you're not yet, you should sign up. They do excellent reporting. The Epoch Times is another good one to check out. They do excellent reporting and excellent commentary, in my opinion. But the names on this list include, but are not limited to, Ed Stetzer, Russell Moore, Joe Carter, N.T. Wright, Tim Keller, Rick Warren, and David French. In terms of mainstream, respectable, middle-of-the-road, evangelical Christianity, you don't get more establishment than these guys right now. 
You don't get more establishment than these guys. And yet, as it turns out, former NIH director Francis Collins, who is very left, he is a big-time leftist, not conservative in any sense, not theologically, certainly, based on his positions on abortion and the LGBTQ and climate change. He's not a theological conservative. He's definitely not a social conservative. He's definitely not a fiscal conservative. He's definitely not a political conservative. He's not a conservative in any sense. He is a creature of the left. He is godless. Whether he portrays himself as a Christian is a moot point. And yet, he reaches out to these big names in evangelical Christianity. These guys who are the leaders of leaders, you get small congregations across this country who read Tim Keller books as a matter of course. They go to the Gospel Coalition over and over and over again to find resources for Sunday school, for sermons, for youth group. They go to N.T. Wright. They go to, not in my circles, but in a lot of circles in the mainstream, they go to Rick Warren books to help people talk through what the purpose of life is. They read David French articles at the National Review, and they share them, and they use them as the basis for supposing that they're staying up on current events. If they are a part of the SBC, they look to Russell Moore, or they did look to Russell Moore, or Ed Stetzer. And yet, Francis Collins reaches out to these guys, and these guys, one by one by one by one, put him up as somebody who's an authority to lecture Christians on how to be a good Christian, how to be a good Christian boy and girl, and trust the science, and where you're Wear the mask, get the vaccine, lock down, and don't question. The good Christian thing to do here is to apply Romans 13 in a very superficial, in a very irresponsible, in a very convenient to the left sort of way. The left is about government overall providing for all your needs, becoming a replacement for God. Romans 13, if you read it for more than just the submit word uncritically, if you read it for more than just that, Romans 13 is not a broad mandate for totalitarianism. It's just not. You have to read the whole counsel of God. So also, I would direct you to, and I'm working on a marriage book, so stay tuned for that. Hopefully I can get this published At the rate we're going, who knows? Maybe Amazon will decide they want a list from Spotify of all the problematic thinkers. Maybe I won't be able to get published. Who knows, right? Hopefully not. But I'm writing a book on marriage. And this is why we got married. And in my book, I want to talk about abusive relationships between husbands and wives I don't want to fixate on that and dwell on that. And I certainly don't want to key in on men as if the only one who can misbehave in a marriage is the man. Enough with the male bashing. I think that is part of the left's 
program to strip husbands and fathers of authority over their families because that's seen as a kind of competition. It always has been. For communist regimes, two institutions are problematic. The church, primarily Christianity, and the family. The church and the family are competition to big government. That's why you lock down churches, but you leave Walmart open during the pandemic. That's why you give a pass to movie studios and nightclubs and things like that. Your favorite restaurants, your hoity-toity restaurants. Somebody can have a concert if they're a secular performer. You can keep a strip club open, but you can't have people going to church. And consistently, it was always the left trying to lock down the churches and shut down communities of faith gathering together, calling those communities of faith non-essential. Isn't it interesting what kind of a statement we make when we go along with that? 15 days, sure. Okay, if this is the Black Death, we're looking at 50% mortality rate. Absolutely, we can do the Zoom church thing for a while. That makes sense. You're immunocompromised. COVID would be a death sentence for you. Okay, let's come up with some workarounds. When it turns out that for the vast majority of people, this is just a cold, it's just a flu, not even a particularly bad one, when the mortality rate is less than 1%, it's not even less than a tenth of a percent, it's less than a one hundredth of a percent for those who contract COVID. That's even if if you contract it, which you may not. For those who kept everybody locked down or required, you have to wear a mask, you have to get the vaccine in order to participate, in order to come back. How many of you pastors were looking to Ed Stetzer, Russell Moore, Joe Carter, N.T. Wright, Tim Keller, Rick Warren, David French, or the lower level, less known figures who look to those characters to set the tone? Because it damages your Christian testimony to question the lockdowns, to question the mask mandates, to question the vaccine mandates. What if it damages your Christian testimony to be bringing out Francis Collins to lecture the congregation on how to be a good Christian. Did you stop to think about whether that would damage your testimony? Did you stop to think about whether it damages your testimony with a whole generation of children who have speech impediments now because they didn't learn how to communicate either A, because they were locked down in their homes for months and months and months, or B, because when they went back to school, they had to wear a stupid mask, and so did everybody else. And who can focus on algebra in the best of times, much less when you're wearing the stupid mask and you can't breathe right, and your blood ox is low, and you're getting impetigo because you're wearing the stupid mask all day. And then you've got the psychological trauma of children being arrested, hauled off, suspended, expelled if they dared to have a spine. It's not about public health. It's about control. It's not first and foremost about saving people's lives. It's about picking teams. It's about weeding out the folks 
who are going to be troublesome, who are going to be non-compliant, who are going to be problematic for what comes next. The Christian responsibility is not to go along with this leftist revolution. The Christian responsibility is not to acquiesce to it. We have a government already, and this is not it. Read the Tocqueville. I'll finish reading it. I'll come back. Stay tuned. Hit subscribe if you're not already a subscriber to this podcast. Hopefully we can stay on the air producing content. I need to start looking for an alternative place to host my podcast. Get everything moved over. Just in case. Top headline, top news story from the Daily Wire yesterday was that Spotify may have, according to some info from Gizmodo, Spotify may have removed 70, yes, 70, 70 Joe Rogan podcasts. It's not clear yet whether Spotify removed those or Joe Rogan removed those. Odds are 100% that it's still Spotify that initiated it. Whatever they say at this point, if they're not going to take any action, if they say that, if their CEO says that, no, we don't take action based on some temporary little upset. Whatever they may say, they've already created a chilling effect. Go back to my episode two episodes ago, Spotify's updated platform rules. I can post a copy or I can send it to you. Anybody who wants a copy, for those of you who are not on Spotify as a content creator, a publisher, you probably don't know what the new rules are and how everything is worded. Go back and listen to that episode for more on that. But here's the deal. Spotify has already done quite enough just by teasing the fact that they might, they could, they're thinking about it, they're considering it. To say that they're innocent, that their hands are clean here, if it turns out that Joe Rogan removed those 70 episodes on his own, would be like saying that the guy who walks into a bank with a loaded gun doesn't point it at anybody necessarily, but he's got it out, and the hammer's cocked, and his finger's on the trigger, and he's got a ski mask on, and he makes some mention about how he might like this bag filled with cash. What you got? Whatever you got, you can put it in the bag. That guy does not get off scot-free if he leaves the bank without shooting anybody, but does leave the bank with a pile of cash, even if he leaves the bank without a pile of cash, for that matter. Say the police show up, he makes a run for it. You don't hold him guiltless just because he didn't actually shoot anybody. Oh, I, you know, hey, I didn't do anything. He put the money in the bag. I just innocently took the money. No, 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 no. Nope. That's not the way that works. You knew what you were doing. We knew what you were doing. Spotify, we know what you're doing. You're threatening. If we don't self-censor, you might take action against our 
content. You might do the same thing that just cost Facebook a quarter of a trillion dollars. Do you see that, Spotify? Is that what you want? Is that what you want? But I'm asking the wrong people. Just like the left and its corporate media mouthpieces, its propagandists in the style of, in the vein of Edward Bernays and Saul Alinsky, just like the corporate media didn't direct their comments to Joe Rogan, hey, Joe Rogan, we make this appeal to you. Please moderate your guests a little bit or please present a more fair and balanced take on these things. If you're going to invite one of these wackadoodle scientists as we see it, invite one of our establishment types so they can debate for us all to hear how wackadoodle these people are. No, no, no. That's not at all the way that they went with it, is it? The way they went with it was Spotify, get a handle on Joe Rogan already. It's irresponsible for you, Spotify, to be letting him say anything he wants or have whoever. How dare you let him associate with just whoever he wants? And that's where it goes from here too, right? That's where it goes from here. A friend of mine from Montana just messaged me yesterday, myself and my cousin Micah Hirschberger, who you may not have been hearing as much from here lately, but that isn't to say he's being inactive. He's writing a novel. What did I tell you at the top of this episode about some things needing to be discussed in fiction, in literature, particularly as it becomes more and more impossible to say those things out loud and outright. But this friend of mine from Montana messages, he says, hey, did you guys hear that Airbnb banned Michelle Malkin's husband from using their services for life? And that's the crazy thing of it. Because you think to yourself, Airbnb, uh, well, that's like, my aunt, who's got a second home in the mountains, and she rents it out when she's not there, right? Like, I'm pretty sure she wouldn't have banned Michelle Malkin's husband. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They don't care, right? Now, what, you may be wondering, got Michelle Malkin's husband banned? <clears throat> well, for one thing, he is banned because he is Michelle Malkin's husband. <clears throat> Michelle Malkin, meanwhile, is canceled uh, in at least the words of the Yahoo News reporter, propagandist, whose story my friend from Montana sent me, put it. Michelle Malkin is a white nationalist ally. Now, I've met Michelle Malkin. I have stood two feet behind her as we listened to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. speak at the Denver Capitol building a few years ago in opposition to a law which the Democrats in this state were trying to ram through with regards to childhood vaccination, creating a online database of whose children did and did not have vaccination. Michelle Malkin is decidedly non-European. Very pretty, 
I really appreciate the documentary she did a number of years back. Really, really interesting documentary you should go check out about what the Democrats did to turn Colorado from red to blue. Colorado used to be a Republican stronghold. Used to be. No more. No mas. They did some very, very shady things the Democrats did to take over Colorado. They appointed themselves the rule makers. They changed the rules. And then they made the new rules that anybody who tried to change the rules back to what they had been before would be locked out of the process. Is what it amounts to. Rocky Mountain Heist, I believe, is the name of that documentary, if you haven't yet seen it. And it has a lot to do with not just Colorado, but what the Democrats have tried to do politically and with our elections nationwide. Michelle Malkin can be thanked for that one. But Michelle Malkin is uh, not white. She's definitely Asian. I don't know what Asian country she hails from or her parents or grandparents or what have you hail from. I don't recall. And yet Yahoo News reports Airbnb reasons. Michelle Malkin is a white nationalist ally because she recently spoke at some get-together for American Renaissance, a group I'm not familiar with, except some very brief glances at their website. And yes, I do read people I disagree with. The website for the Southern Poverty Law Center. Maybe they are racists. Could be. Also, it's very concerning that not just Michelle Malkin would be banned from using Airbnb because she gave a speech at an event that they held, but also her husband. Like how many degrees of separation are going to justify in the minds of leftists canceling people, throwing them down the memory hole, barring them from participation in society? It is indeed a cold civil war. And if you obey uncritically the totalitarians on the left who are exceeding their authority, if they have authority, and if they don't have authority, if you're just acquiescing just for the sake of acquiescing, is it possible, and I'm going to leave you with this question, and then i got to run, is it possible that you maybe are complicit in the rebellion against rightful authority? These evangelical leaders... Ed Stetzer, Russell Moore, Joe Carter, N.T. Wright, Tim Keller, Rick Warren, David French, saying that a good Christian, if they want to have a good testimony, will not question what the mainstream media is reporting, what Democrat politicians are claiming and mandating. Is it possible that they sold you a lie and they sold a lot of pastors and professors and a lot of thoughtful Christians who trusted them, and they shouldn't have trusted them, a very poor interpretation of Romans 13, particularly in light of the circumstances. The real rebels here are not the Christians who say, wait a second, that's not true, and that's not right, and you don't have lawful authority to be requiring what you're requiring. The real rebels here are not the ones who are saying, hey, wait a second, pump the brakes. 
We've got some questions here. This does not add up. It's wrong what you're doing. Come to Jesus. The real rebels here are the ones who are complicit. And I'm not saying if you ever put a mask on, you're complicit. What I'm saying is this list of mainstream evangelical leaders who propped NIH director Francis Collins up as an authority on Christian testimony are complicit. And they should repent. No two ways about it. But is it possible if you go along with an unlawful order in a way that implies that the person giving that order does have the authority, that becomes the precedent, and you have actually empowered the rebel over and against the rightful authorities, does that make you complicit? Is that possibly a violation itself of Romans 13? Just a thought. Let me know what you think. I got to run, though. As always, thank you for listening. I hope to finish up Democracy in America this weekend. Stay tuned for a review of that coming soon right here at the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe at your favorite podcast platform of choice. You can follow me on Twitter or Facebook. I'll warn you, though, it's just going to be automatic shares from WordPress. It might help other people to pick up this podcast, listen to it. Also, you can go to thegarrettashleymulletshow.com, subscribe for email alerts. Also, you can buy my book, and this is why we homeschool, available at most online booksellers. Get your copy today. Let me know how you like it. Please leave a review, too. For any of you who have bought the book already and you've read it, I would love to see a review, if at all possible, left at wherever you bought that book. If you bought it at Amazon.com, go to Amazon, leave a review, leave an honest review. You don't have to flatter me, but leave a review. That will help a lot in getting this book into the hands of more people. Tell your friends and family about it. Encourage them to homeschool too. Now is the time. Sooner would have been better. Better late than never. Anyway, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.